the author T.S. Eliot some time ago asked these three probing questions. Where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? In terms of information alone, we have never had so much available to so many so quickly. Through the internet, you can learn practically anything. You can know pretty much anything you like if you know where to look. Uh, one of my mentors finished a second doctorate. He earned a PhD without ever visiting the library. He never stepped inside a physical library. Every, information, every bit of information he felt he needed to write a dissertation, a very heavy research project, was at his fingertips through his laptop computer. And yet, with all of that torrent of information and knowledge growing exponentially year by year, would it seem to you that as a group of people, as a human race, we've grown wiser with all of that information? No. Mm. <laughs> Ask a simple question, get a clear answer. Thank you to whoever that was. <laughs> Thanks to the marvel of the internet, a few people heard you everywhere around the world. We've got people viewing these services online we're surprised to find all over the place. You've been part of the teaching this morning. You're absolutely right. Life has gotten faster. Information has increased. Wisdom is harder and harder to find. That's why during the month of July, we're going to journey together into the book of Proverbs in the Bible. Proverbs is an interesting kind of literature. So today, I really have a two-part assignment. The first part, and it'll probably take the longest part, I'm going to give you a very quick, basic course on hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is a fancy word that I'm reasonably sure scholars made up to intimidate the rest of us. Hermeneutics is just the rules of the road for reading different kinds of writing, different kinds of literature. We bring that intuitively whenever we read something. If we've learned a little bit about reading and understanding, we sort of adjust in our mind to seek understanding, to figure out what we're being told based on the kind of writing that's in front of us. For instance, we read poetry different than we would read a contract. Every kind of literature in the Bible, because there are several different kinds of writings, if you're an English person, there are several genres of writing in the Bible, have their own rules of the road. Proverbs, we're told in the beginning of Proverbs, are wise sayings. They're instruction. What we normally think of as Proverbs are these catchy, incisive, sometimes hard to understand, two-line sayings that tell you what life is. So, in the first part of this, uh, the time I have to teach you this morning, I'm going to teach you how to read Proverbs because my invitation is that we will read the book of Proverbs together during the month of July. Proverbs has 31 chapters, July has 31 days, so we're going to read the Pro chapter of Proverbs that corresponds to the day of the month. Today's July 3rd, so today, I'd, if you haven't already, I'd love for you to go home and, based on what you learned this morning, read the book of Proverbs. When you do, open up the Bible. You're opening up God's book, God's Word, 
and say, Father, you have written this to teach me. You have written this to make me wise. You've given me these old, actually ancient sayings to save me trouble, to increase my joy, to make me safe. Point out to me what you want me to learn, what fits in my life, what has traction in my situation right now, and help me love you enough to do what it says. You do that day after day after day after day, you'll discover that the wisdom of Proverbs is like vitamins. You take vitamins this weekend, it will make very little difference to your health. You take proper vitamins and eat properly for the next six months, you'll find yourself transformed. That's the way Proverbs work. They invite the reader to understand how life is and then invite him into a further conversation, into a further question. Because this is the way life works, you have to figure out now what to do about it. Simplest way to understand and remember what Proverbs are is to remember this. Proverbs are concentrated truth about life. That's what the Proverbs are trying to do. They are trying to tell you in very brief space, this is how life is. This is how life works. We're going to study the Bible for about 20 or 25 minutes before I introduce you to the theme of Proverbs, and then we'll be done today. Here's a very simple, everyday experience that Proverbs tells you about. In Proverbs 20, verse 14, it says this, bad, bad, says the buyer. But when he goes away, then he boasts. Now, is that telling you something to do? It doesn't say anything to do, right? It just makes a statement about life. Has anybody ever seen this lived out? Think back in your life. Have you ever seen this dynamic that's being described here take place in your everyday life? Garage sale. Oh, no, that's junk. What do you want for that? Oh, three bucks. Ah, oh, no, I'll give you a dollar. Look, it's faded, it's chipped, it's broken. You know who always does this? People who buy used cars. I don't like the look of those tires. Now, I was looking online. They say this thing has a bad transmission. Oh, no, it's great. You know, my grandmother drove this, and she was bound to a bed. She never drove the car. And all this lying and negotiating and posturing, the buyer is always saying, it's bad, it's bad. But when the guy buys the used car, what does he tell all his friends? <laughs> Got a great deal. If he didn't get a great deal, he doesn't talk about it, right? Here's how Proverbs work. Proverbs are not interested necessarily in what should we do. Proverbs are more interested in telling you what's going on here. It won't always tell you, here's how you should live. It's going to tell you what is actually happening. In other words, Proverbs tells it like it is. Here's a very important proverb, and let's see if you've seen this one come to life. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Well, on first reading, we have to look back into history because we don't build cities with walls anymore. You have to put yourself in the 3,000-year-old context of the Proverbs sometimes to understand what they're talking about. But anybody who's seen a movie about the ancient world 
knows that cities in their time built walls around themselves. In the ancient world, if you didn't live inside a walled city, you could be murdered in your sleep. So cities were built with walls around them. And Proverbs, who was written 3,000 years ago, the Proverbs primarily belonged to Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, the son of King David. Proverbs says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. That's concentrated truth. Proverbs is telling you this is how life works. And if you're a literary person, it's using a simile. In other words, it's telling you that one thing is like another. A man without self-control is like a city with no walls. That's abstract, that's in the past, it's giving you a word picture, but it doesn't immediately tell you what difference it makes to you. So you have to ponder it. Part of Proverbs is they teach discernment, but they also require it. Some people start reading Proverbs and give up because they stumble across a proverb or two that they don't immediately understand. That's part of the point. Proverbs don't always tell you what to do. They tell you something that is true but that is cloaked sometimes in mysterious language, sometimes in very colorful language, and it's an invitation to sit still and think about what God is telling you about His world and then, once you've found the truth, see, where it, see what that looks like in your own life. Let's go back to Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. What is, how would you explain that verse to an eight-year-old boy? That's my test for whether I understand a Bible passage or not. Not an eight-year-old girl, because their minds are usually quieter and more focused, okay? Think about an average third-grade boy. You read that poetic wisdom, and you say, how would I explain that to a child? What would you say? What is this telling you about a man with no self-control? He is what? He's open to disaster. Good. How else would you explain that? He's broken. He's vulnerable. If you don't have self-control, everything you have and everything you are is vulnerable. A few years ago, someone who made their living and a handsome living on social media got on an airplane to fly to the other side of the world, but before she boarded the plane, she sent out a tweet. And in an attempt to be humorous, she was horribly hateful and racist. By the time she landed, not only was she fired, but she was infamous the world around because in a 60-second conversation, she expressed a part of her heart in fewer than 140 characters and lost everything. If you have a bad temper, everything you have, everything you own, your very person is perpetually at risk. Wherever you lack self-control in that section of your life, you welcome disaster. That's what Proverbs 25, 28 is trying to tell us. Look at 26, 4. And again, we're trying to see if we can understand what these punchy two-line Proverbs mean so that we can bring it into our life 3,000 years later. Read this one with me. Proverbs says, 
answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. There was marginal participation in the reading, so I'll try again. (laughs) Read God's Word with me. Proverbs 26 verse 4 says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Okay. How would you paraphrase that? See, that's the, that's the leap of understanding. How would I explain that in my own words? What are you being told here? Not to co-sign his stuff. Not to co-sign his stuff. Okay, good. Tell you a story about that later. I'm sorry? Ah, see? Don't argue with the fool because the people watching soon won't be able to tell you apart. My grandpa is a little more direct, a little saltier. He'd say, never argue with an idiot. That's what Proverbs 26 verse 4 is telling you. And if you think I'm being mean, just wait until you start reading Proverbs. The language is really clear because it wants you to get the point. So there are times that arguing with someone whose heart is set on foolishness is a danger to you because if you engage that argument, 20 minutes later, you're the bigger fool of the two. Parents know this. The six-year-old does something foolish because he's naive, he's ignorant, he's untrained, he doesn't know any better. Mom and dad lose their minds, ruin their day, and behave, in retrospect, far more childish than the kid did. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Now, Proverbs 26 verse 5 is very interesting. Notice, this is the immediate next proverb. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Uh Uh-oh. Somebody says, the Bible contradicts itself. I say, you're absolutely right, and I show them these two verses. It says the opposite thing, doesn't it? Look at the first lines. Answer not a fool according to his folly. Answer a fool according to his folly. You think that was purposeful? Absolutely. The wisdom of Proverbs says in consecutive order, do not answer a fool according to his folly lest you be like him. Very next verse, answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes. Why is this happening? Because Proverbs require discernment as they teach it. That's why I'm telling you, if you don't understand a proverb, Sit, pray, wait, read it in a different translation to see if changing the language a little bit helps you. Proverbs teach discernment, and they also require it. What this proverb specifically is inviting the reader to consider, that's why they're right next to each other. Proverbs is always asking the reader this question, is this one of those times where I'm engaged in conversation with a fool. I know that because he's acting foolish. He's embarrassing himself and all of us. A person who has been taught the wisdom of Proverbs has these two Proverbs come to mind and asks himself, is this one of the times where I should keep quiet? Because if I start arguing, I'll become a fool myself? Or is this one of those times where I should say something lest the fool think he's right and grow more conceited? 
Which is it? It depends. That's the beauty. That's the mystery and the magic of Proverbs. It invites you to consider the situation and ask yourself what you should do according to wisdom. Proverbs itself knows that knowing the proverb itself doesn't guarantee good outcomes in 26.7. In other words, just with just one verse between the last of those sayings we've just been examining, Proverbs 26.7 says this, like a lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of fools. In other words, you can cite it all day long, but if you don't put it into practice, it will do you no good. Here's an American proverb that makes it easy to understand. We sometimes say, look before you leap. Now, what does that mean? Are we, are we all a nation of skydivers, or what, what, what does look before you leap mean? Before you make a big decision, think about it, right? Consider the consequences. Make sure that you have some idea of what might happen. Is it always true that you should look before you leap? Not necessarily. If someone has pushed you onto the subway train tracks, it's probably not a great time to look carefully around and consider the Doppler effect of the horn that is drawing near you and carefully clamber out of the way. There are times where you shouldn't look, you should just leap. Proverbs, in other words, are coming into the daily life of the person who is trying to follow God's wisdom. And it gives you in concentrated, sometimes in just two lines, it tells you this is the way life is. You don't have to like it. God himself may not be pleased about it, but this is how the world works. And then it invites you to respond accordingly. Look at the wisdom of Proverbs. Proverbs, you see, has a vision. When you're reading Proverbs, think about this first. The first thing a proverb is going to do is look backward. It's going to look across life, across human nature, across reality as God created it and as sin ruined it. A look backward will help you see life as it is. It will help you see reality. One of the things that shows me that the world is foolish in America in the 21st century is we are primarily guided by hopelessly romantic completely untethered from reality memes and slogans and phrases that simply don't work in the world as it actually is. Make your own application, fill in your own foolish statement. But just because it can be sloganized or slapped on a bumper sticker does not necessarily mean that it reflects life as it is. Proverbs always tells you the way it is. First, it looks back the elders of Israel wrote Proverbs, most scholars believe, primarily to train future leaders, to take young men specifically. That's why you'll hear continual warnings about sexual immorality as it lives out in the life of a young man. There's wisdom there, of course, for both men and women, but the original application was an older man sitting down with a young man saying, kid, let me tell you how life works. Here's what is true. Here's what I've learned about women. Here's what is true about marriage. Here is what is true about bad friends and violence. Here's what's true about laziness and work. Here's how jobs work. 
Here's how the people in charge of you are actually going to treat you. It's a magnificent education, but first it has to look backward to see reality. Then Proverbs invites you to look forward so that you'll live wisely, to spark wise action in your own life. Here's an example. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. The rich rules over the poor. Is the Bible celebrating that as a good thing? No, it's just saying this is how it works. In how many situations do you think it's been true that rich people run poor people? When has that been true? Always. You have to look very hard to find even individual exceptions where poor people are in a position of power. This is 3,000 years old, but it tells you here's how life works. People with a great deal of money have more options. People who have no money whatsoever find themselves with more and more people stacked on top of them. And then the second line of Proverbs, beginning with that very universal, always been true about all people everywhere, gets really personal and walks right into your living room and says the borrower is the slave of the lender. And it's just a flat statement about reality. Now, you'll miss the point of Proverbs. You won't grow if you just read that. Oh, that's interesting. Tough. I wish I was rich. <laughs> Man, I hate being poor. Sure wish I was a landlord instead of a renter. Okay, well, okay. Now you're depressed, okay, because you wrote... <laughs> You read about the world as it actually is, but Proverbs has more for you. It tells you how life is and now invites you to look forward in the life you're living right now so that you can make decisions about it. We're still studying the Bible. I'm almost done because now I'm going to introduce the theme of Proverbs and we'll be done for the day. But let's, this is how it will work if you read the chapter of Proverbs. You encounter this, you understand that is condensed truth, truth in two lines, and then you ask yourself, so what? What difference will that make to me? If the borrower is the slave of the lender, what difference might that make to you? You should be very, very, very careful about acquiring debt. You should get out of debt as quickly as you possibly can. Anyone who's bought a car has had this experience. Remember making that last car payment? Wasn't that the most wonderful thing? You know, it's old, but it's mine. They're not coming after my money anymore. Now, everybody who's ever bought a new car but financed all of it or most of it has felt the other pressure. I love this car, but oh man, here comes the 22nd of the month again. They want more money, and they're rich. Honda Corporation is rich, so they're going to want your money on the 22nd, and if you ignore that reality and stop paying them money on the 22nd, they're not going to come after your money. What are they going to come after? They're going to come after the car. Some big guy, usually wearing a black t-shirt to hide better in your driveway with a gun on his person somewhere in case you get too frisky about it, is actually going to come and take the car away. 
because the borrower is the slave to the lender. That doesn't necessarily forbid all kinds of debt at all times. Sometimes debt is necessary. Hardly anybody can buy a house and pay cash. You just need to understand once you acquire debt, the social dynamics of your life have changed. You have made yourself a servant to someone for as long as you have that debt. Proverbs says to the wise, to the untrained, to the fools, this is how life works. Be wise. My mother's favorite proverb when I was growing up, maybe even now, I'll, I'll share in a moment. If Proverbs were a story, the main characters would be a wise man and a fool. As you keep reading Proverbs, as you read across the book, the first several chapters, for about one-third, Proverbs will use what we may call wisdom speeches, very direct teaching, telling you what to do, telling you what is true. After that, it's like the wisdom training wheels have been removed, and it just starts hitting you with all these wise sayings, and that's an invitation, now that the training wheels are off, to consider each one carefully and order your, wife, your life accordingly. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. That's how life works. Now, obviously, the subtext is, don't be stupid, Right? but it gives you a very specific truth about life. Prudent people see danger coming and get out of the way. Simple people, naive people, ignorant people, untrained people, they plunge straight ahead and consequently suffer. That's how when Sharice and I were first married, I ended up driving across a very famous speed trap in the panhandle of Texas. Everybody know what a speed trap is? It's a place where an officer of the law who has a car and a gun and a radio to call many more just like him sit usually behind a large object where you can't see him with the radar gun to record your rate of speed. My wife, who grew up in the area, and I did too, so I knew better, told me about 50 times, slow down, we're in the speed trap. But it was a rental car, and I didn't care what happened to it necessarily. I was young and even dumber than I am now, and I responded something along the lines of, Woman, let a man drive. <laughs> it was about that blunt and about that stupid, okay? She's shaking her head in quiet agreement. And that's how I ended up on Christmas Eve sitting in a patrolman's car, looking at the radar gun, answering this kind of question. Sir, can you tell me what speed you see on the radar gun? <laughs> yes. Will you tell me what it says, sir? It, it says 89. Sir, are you aware of the speed limit on this particular stretch of Texas Highway? Yes. Can you tell me what it is, sir? 55. Yeah. <laughs> now, what happened there? The prudent, my wife, saw danger and tried to get me to hide from it. But the ignorant, the stupid, went right on and <laughs> suffered for it. That's how life works. As you look for traction in your life for that parable, in parenting, that means that you don't always rescue your children from the consequences of their actions. If they've been warned, and they've been taught, they've been pleaded with, and they still plunge into foolishness, every once in a while, it's good to let the consequences come down so that they will learn. Here's my mother's favorite proverb. <laughs> now you know a little bit better why. 
That was when I was first married. Imagine when I was in high school. Here's her proverb for me in high school. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. (laughs) That doesn't tell you what to do. It's just telling you this is something that will be true about life. If you'll keep quiet, people will think you're smarter than you are. If you're in the big meeting and you have no idea what's going on, you have no idea what to say, if you'll keep quiet, they may think you're deep. It's true. If you start talking, they'll know better. Proverbs 29 verse 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Young people, in the age of Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, and everything else, this is a proverb that will keep you safe. Proverbs says, here's the way life works. Foolish people always tell you everything they think. And they say it like this. I'm just keeping it real. (laughs) Yes, real and real stupid. (laughs) And now you, you can't pull that back. You've deleted it, but somebody else, somebody else captured it. They retweeted it. You're dead. What happened? You gave full vent to your spirit. What does the wise man do? A wise man feels that irritation, feels that anger, is provoked, but quiets down. So what Proverbs does when it shows you the story of the fool and the wise man invites this question. Am I the kind of person that tells it like I see it, doesn't hold nothing back, gives them the whole truth, or am I a wise person who would grow wiser and do better if I could keep control and quietly hold what I think? I can't begin to tell you, and I literally can't imagine what Proverbs will teach you. If you will read carefully, slowly, the chapter that corresponds with the day of the month, that's our invitation as a church family. Today is July 3rd, so you would read Proverbs chapter 3. I would rather, frankly, for your good, for your growth, I would rather you read three Proverbs and ponder them carefully and look back to see where you've seen that come true in life, look forward to see how that might help you, than just speed read the whole chapter and walk away the same. In every given chapter of Proverbs, and I've been, my wife taught me this. She's a wise woman raised by very wise people. She taught me this habit. I haven't done it every day of my life, but I've been pretty consistent about it. The wisdom of Proverbs has saved me time after time after time. As you keep reading Proverbs, for instance, it will say that you should not guarantee the debts of a stranger. That if you find that you've signed for somebody else's loan that you just met, Proverbs says, don't even sleep. Get out of that. You're like a trapped animal. Make sure that you get out of that trap before you sleep again. When I was pastoring in Mexico, a very sharp young couple came to our church, immediately got invested, got connected, and after about three or four weeks of being in our church, asked me to do them a pretty standard favor in Mexico. They were from out of town, they didn't have family, and they said, we have rented a house. They were actually two blocks away from us in a pretty nice place. He worked for a Fortune 50 company, and she had a really good job, too. 
And they said, would you please co-sign our rent? We don't have family in this city. And the landlord, and this is pretty standard, the landlord wants a co-signer on our rent. And man, it was so hard to say no. Because they were good people and they had good jobs and we were neighbors. And it just seemed obvious. And I said, friend, I'm sorry, but Proverbs says that I shouldn't do that. That I shouldn't guarantee anybody else's debts. He got mad. Our relationship got a little chillier. We kept working through it. And about three weeks later, I was in their living room praying with them and counseling them because they both got laid off in three weeks' time. It was a long time before either one of them got a job back. What that means was, had I not heeded the wisdom of Proverbs, I would have been on the hook for about $14,000. Proverbs is that slow, quiet, steady voice telling you, hey, kid, there is a God who made the universe. He set it in motion. He established its rules. And also, you should know this, wicked people and sin have ruined it. Here's how the world you live in works. Be smart. Proverbs will do that for you. It will tell you about friends and food and family and jobs and laziness and bosses and employees and sex and marriage and every other everyday life kind of wisdom. It will speak into your life if you'll let it, if you'll slowly consider it with an open Bible, open God's book, and say, Father, you know reality, teach me. Now look at Proverbs 1, verse 7, and we'll be done. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Most of the collected wisdom of, Sol of Proverbs belongs to Solomon. Here's what Proverbs invites you. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. In other words, Proverbs says, I want to teach you and form your character. If you will listen to the wisdom that follows, you will be different. You will be taught, it says, wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity. In other words, you'll be a different kind of person. You'll love what's right. You'll love justice. You will be equitable with people. Proverbs are designed, we're told, to give prudence to the simple. That means an ignorant person, a naive person. It doesn't mean they're stupid. It means they haven't been taught. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Young people, please hear that. You can be wiser than your elders if you'll listen to the wisdom of Proverbs. There are, in the beginning, we're all fools, and the only thing worse than a young fool is an old fool. Proverbs invites you to listen and to learn for life. It applies in every season of life. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Here's the theme of Proverbs. Would you read 1-7 with me? The Bible says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's a, here's a three-minute sermon. Wisdom works like this. It doesn't come naturally to anyone. Everyone begins simple. 
No one left to, their, left to themselves has ever grown wise. The idea of Proverbs is that God has spoken wisdom, that elders have lived it and gained it through painful experience. Now that wisdom will be passed on in the fear, in the reverence of God. But it doesn't come naturally to anyone, but it's available to everyone. No matter how ignorant, untrained, naive, clueless you are, Proverbs says, come listen. I'll teach you, I'll change you, I'll prepare you for the journey ahead of you. If you're already wise, this will be even easier for you. If you're already wise, you already live in reverence of God, you already have a great deal of wisdom accumulated, you'll obtain guidance. You'll be even wiser, you'll be even smarter because wisdom is available to everyone and it all begins, according to verse 7, with the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is not a, not a phrase that we're very comfortable with and that you often hear. The fear of the Lord is not a cringing fear. It's not like a child that has been smacked so many times that he flinches at every movement. Solomon knows that there is a God who rules in heaven, who takes kings and places them on thrones and takes them down just as easily. He knows that there is a creator and an architect of life who knows all about it and knows the way out through sin and through failure and brokenness and the wickedness of other people onto life and wisdom and salvation. And Solomon says, where you begin is in a right relationship with God. The idea of the fear of the Lord is not a cringing fear, it is a reverent awe that you are so impressed with God, you are so taken with Him, you are so overawed by Him that you're obviously going to be eager to do what He says. In other words, it's awe that leads to action. Much like if the best basketball player in the world suddenly decides to coach your junior high team, and you've got an NBA Hall of Famer that's going to teach you how to shoot the ball, of course you're going to listen. You can't even believe he's in the gym. Proverbs is even better. It invites you to listen to the king and creator and to order your life in a way that will please him. What Proverbs invites you to do is to live in awe of God so that it makes a difference in all of life. Already this week, since people started, a few of you started reading with us last week, I've had at least half a dozen conversations saying, man, I read this at just the right time. It kept me from saying the wrong thing. It helped me to say the, wrong, the right thing. I've been helped already. Let's see what happens this July. If you haven't started, don't worry about catching up, but you easily can. And understand that the God who made everything and loved you so dearly that He saw that the world was wrecked by sin and He knew that no amount of wisdom alone would be able to get us out of it, He sent Jesus to the cross, as we've been singing, to purchase our freedom, to pay our ransom, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be free and forgiven. That's the God who stands behind this wisdom. That's how wise, how loving, how heroic He is. My invitation to you is to cultivate awe of Him so that you can live your life accordingly. Let's pray together. Someone after the first service, I have no idea what they meant 
But after the first service, they said, you know, I read a couple of those things, and they hit me really, really hard. Maybe you've had that experience. Could I invite you to go to God in prayer right now and say, God, I heard you. I'll make the changes. Teach me more. If you don't know anything about God, if you're maybe opening the Bible for the first or the second time, He has loved you enough to speak into history and to send His Son after you to live in your place, to be tempted as you've been tempted, but unlike you, to live righteously, to never once say yes to sin as you and I have so many times. That's the God who gave Proverbs. That's the Lord. He's not only the boss, He's the Savior. Could I invite you right now to talk to Him and say, Lord, I'll read. You teach me. Make me wise. Give me wisdom beyond my years. Teach me to live life as it is and as you want it to be. Father, thank you for speaking to us so clearly in very colorful, sometimes painful language so that we can see reality and change our lives to be more like your son Jesus who died for our sin. I have no idea, Lord, what in a congregation of hundreds as we are you might do to reshape families, to reorder friendships, to give people jobs, to make them better employees, better bosses. But your book speaks to all of these situations. Make us humble. Help us not be the fool, Lord, who scoffs and despises wisdom and instruction. Help us to humbly listen day by day and help us to live in reverent obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen.